Yet I will praise you though you take from me. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Would you guys stand with us as we sing together? Sing about our great God. 
this song together, and as we sing it, let's keep in mind what's going on in heaven right now. They're bowing down and saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Let's sing with all the saints and angels. Gathered at the highest throne, welcomed by a melody. I have always known the song that's always been in me. Oh, glory and honor, dominion and power to you.
reading from Psalm 145, uh, the beginning verses. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and his, gener- and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. And worship is a time when we have the opportunity to come together in multi-generational group uh, to worship God together. And so we're glad that you're here this morning. I'm Brian Carroll, equipping pastor here at Cypress Bible Church. And at Cypress Bible Church, kind of a motto we use here is beginning where you are and becoming more like Jesus. So no matter where you're at in your journey, we're glad that you're here and you're welcome to be here. And we hope you'll join us in the journey of becoming more like Jesus. And there are three things that we encourage and we focus on that help us in that process. And the first is to gather together for worship in a regular way as we worship God together. Uh, The second is to grow through life-changing truth, and we believe that's best accomplished by getting into a smaller class or a smaller group. Uh, We call them grow groups and grow classes here to help us, encourage us, and then you have something to offer those groups as well. And so we would encourage you to consider that. And then the third thing is to go in life-changing truth. It's our responsibility to carry the gospel message to others, whether that be in our own neighborhoods or across the world. And so those are the three things that we encourage here at Cypress Bible Church. Um, We'd like to make one announcement, and then we're going to watch a video. Um, The uh, announcement is that we have um, uh, elder prayer. We used to have that only once a month. We've now expanded that every week uh, in between services. You'll just walk through that door right over there to my left. Uh, You can walk through that door, and then there will be a couple of elders in there who will be happy to pray for you. Anything that you need prayer for, you're welcome to go into that room. Uh, But uh, I'd like to turn your attention uh, to a video that we're going to show. My name is Ina Graham. I began serving in youth ministry in 1996. You know, there are many reasons I serve in youth ministry, and specifically with eighth grade girls. For this time in my life, uh, youth ministry is my calling. But spiritually for myself, I need confirmation from God that where I am is where He wants me to be. So many years ago, God showed me a passage in Psalm 78. And summarizing, it says, we must tell the next generation so they will put their trust in the Lord. My own faith grows as I see God's faithfulness in my classroom. The Holy Spirit teaches me I don't have to do this alone. My faith grows when I see answered prayers. Each time a high school student teaches large group on Sunday morning, It can be an emotional time for me to watch that. The Holy Spirit is alive there, and any time the Holy Spirit is alive, our faith is going to grow. If you're watching this video and you're not serving, there's no judgment from me. But you could be missing out. There are all kinds of kids right now who need you. I had a lady at CBC several years ago stepped up and volunteered to pray for my students on, on Wednesday night. I haven't seen her in a long time, and I basically had forgotten about it. And she asked me if I was still serving, and she said, I'm still praying for your kids on Wednesday night. That is serving. You don't have to do what I do, but you could do what I do. 
my heart says God is calling you. He's calling your name to serve. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. He's calling you to serve somewhere. And that's where having a little talk with Jesus may help you. You will find answers if you pray about this. Time runs out. One thing I'm confident is this. The kids are worth it every time. So Ina Graham is one of our long-term volunteers that served in student ministries. That is her calling. Uh, The great thing is, is that each one of us who are a follower of Jesus are given uh, spiritual gifts, uh, talents, abilities that we can use to serve others. And this morning we have out in the foyer, those of you who came in said, what's going on out here? Uh, This morning we have an opportunity to go to a ministry fair that focuses on volunteers. Sometimes ministry fairs are just exposing you to ministry, but today it's focusing on learning how you can volunteer at Cypress Bible Church. And when you walked in... You should have gotten a little flyer like this that just lists most of the volunteer opportunities at Cypress Bible Church. And sometimes we can think there's only a few to do, but you see there's over 80 positions, the opportunities. And so we would encourage you, if you're not currently plugged in in some way, we would encourage you to prayerfully consider that. And today's a great opportunity to go out into the foyer, learn about ministries. No one's going to apply pressure that you have to join them right away. We just encourage you to explore and so you can see is there a way that you could serve to be a part of the body of Christ here. Um, Also, Also, we do offer a serve class if you say, you know what, I'm not really sure I understand a lot about how God's gifted me and how I can serve others, then there is an opportunity out in the foyer to sign up for a serve class. It's a class where you'll explore those things, and we haven't decided the format or location because there's so many variables right now, but if you sign up and say, I'm interested, we'll be in touch with you, and you can do that by going straight out and to your right-hand side. Also, this form is a great form. You can check the areas you're interested. If you don't have time to stay this morning after the service, we encourage you to do that, but if you don't, you can check that, turn that in at the Welcome Center, and we'll be in touch with you just to give you information about those ministry aspects as well. Uh, one of our ministries that we do have a significant need for uh, is children's ministry, and they're right out to the right, and uh, you go out the door and go to your right, and they're a part of the ministry fair, um, but in order for all of our kids' classes to open up in September, as we hope, we still have several needs there, and so if you could help specifically meet that, if God's calling you to help out with that, that would be great. Just go out through the door and go to your right. Uh, last announcement, uh, this morning we start a brand new sermon series. It's called Acceptable Worship. It will be for seven weeks. There are booklets out in the foyer, which are little study guides for you to do your own Bible study on those same passages, either before or after you come to the message. And so if you'd like to pick one of those up, you can pick those up after the service out in the foyer. Man, would you guys stand again as we sing a couple more songs together? Exalted on high, and I will praise Him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise His
I've uh, performed a few weddings in my life, and I see my principal job as, well, helping to prepare the couple for marriage and uh, planning that ceremony, helping that ceremony to go properly well. And I've had uh, some challenges with that through the years. I'll just uh, name a couple of them. A uh, mother of the bride who was, uh, she wanted the wedding to happen, but she really wanted to make it all about her, her be the the central part of that. And and it was, it got bad. It got so bad that um, the week before the wedding, uh, on a Saturday morning, I had to sit down with the bride, the groom, uh, the parents on both sides and and, uh, sort this out. And I could tell that everybody uh, in that room was afraid of the mother of the bride, including me. Uh, and uh, eventually I, I said, this is not about you. you. You need to understand, this is not about you. Our husband, a farmer, big guy, I mean, I'm a big guy, he's a big guy. And when I said that, his eyes got wide and he gasped. But it, it went okay. We did all right. Um, another wedding where the, the groom's brother was known for playing pranks, and the, the bride and groom were very concerned that he was going to do something to disrupt things. And I was like, I, I, you know, whatever happens outside the ceremony, that's okay, but the ceremony, that's what I'm the guardian of, I felt. And, and so I tried to get to the bottom of what this guy might do and discovered that, uh, yes, he did indeed have a plan. And his plan was that when he handed the rings over as the, as the uh, best man, and that he would... Uh, put on his brother's back a sign that said, help me. And so um, I, I, I went to him and I said, that's really funny. That, that plan you have, that's really funny. But if you do that during the ceremony, you're going to need that sign. See, I, So <laughs> I try not to, to be threatening, but, but so he did not do it. See, weddings are both celebration and ceremony. Uh, they are, in other words, they're joy and happiness, yes, but they're also solemn and serious. And so I see myself as the guardian of propriety in that. And, and I think it's a little bit like worship gatherings as well. Uh, the, these should be celebrations and ceremonies in honor of God. And, and as a leader, it's my job to keep that focus in the right place, to avoid anything that's trivial, fake, disrespectful. And this, frankly, has been an important theme of my time here at CBC. It's something that I both tried to instruct and uh, to inspire uh, and to emulate as well. And if you've been through CBC 101, you've heard me, you've heard Amy, my wife, uh, speak about this uh, with passion and uh, something that we have struggled to uh, to bring forward, because corporate worship is an essential part of our lives in following Jesus, and we're here to, to honor God and to lift our eyes off of ourselves to our Creator, to delight in our Redeemer, to thank our true Provider, to praise our Sovereign Lord who rules the universe. And we begin a series today focused on what is acceptable in worship. How do we worship God acceptably? And the reality is that we can't determine that ourselves. It's not our place to do that. 
we need to worship in a way that aligns with what God himself has revealed. And so over these seven weeks, uh, beginning today, we are going to look at a number of different texts, and we're only going to scratch the surface of what the Bible declares and demonstrates and uh, shows about this subject of worship. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will work in each of us, including me, to raise the level of our participation and raise the level of our expectation when it comes to worship gatherings. This morning, our focus is simply on one characteristic of God that is very seldom talked about, and that is that he is jealous. He's a jealous God. And to us, jealousy, I think, is always negative. It's the green-eyed monster. A A dictionary definition is resenting the success of others. That's jealousy. Or being suspicious and fearful. That's the definition of jealousy. And so how is it that we can talk about the Lord being jealous? It's not something that we latch on to as meaningful. I don't know of a single song that talks about God as jealous. Uh, our God is a jealous God. No, we don't, we don't do that. And yet the fact that God is jealous is foundational, I believe, for acceptable worship. So I want us to consider what that might mean and why it's important uh, on this idea. So let, let me take you to the, one of the texts, uh, Exodus thirty four fourteen, that talks about this very thing. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So that's pretty clear, isn't it? His very name is Jealous, and that doesn't sound good. The Hebrew word is kanah. And it appears six times in the Hebrew Bible, and all six times it is referencing God himself. So this is a divine characteristic of who God is. And since God is perfectly holy, this jealousy must have some meaning to it that is not evil, that is not sin. So in order to explain it, let me, let me begin by giving a couple of examples, uh, very weak examples. But just imagine, I, I go to a, a conference, let's say, and the keynote speaker, uh, basically his whole address is something that I've written. So it's taken from an article or something that I've written where he uses my stories like they're his own stories. He uses my research and never credits me and gives this, this talk and people like it. And so I go to him after I say, hey, you, 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 you kind of plagiarized me there. And he says, you're just jealous. Or let's say Amy says, you know, I think I'm going to go out on a date tonight. Not with you. And I object, as I would object. And she says, you're just jealous. No. See, that's, that's the type of jealousy God has. When his loved one is unfaithful to him. When someone takes away the glory that belongs to him, the, the, the credit that should go to him. And, and I think unless we understand this kind of jealousy, we will not worship correctly. But if we grasp it, We'll be expressive. We'll be generous in worshiping our Lord. Now, uh, to, to continue to understand this, let, let, how this impacts worship and daily life, let's just remind ourselves of the situation that led up to the words here in Exodus chapter 34. It's, it's a familiar backstory. In fact, the last time I preached here, we were dealing with this very backstory. Uh, it, it's Israel, God's people, enslaved in Egypt for centuries. And God 
is prepared to deliver and Moses and sends him to lead his people out of slavery toward the promised land. And, and of course, the Egyptians don't want to let them go, all this free slave labor, and God sends ten plagues. And, and eventually, uh, Pharaoh releases the people to go and, the, and they head out towards the promised land and then Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he goes after, sends out his entire army after the people of Israel. And there they are trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, stuck, nowhere to go called it an impossible situation. But of course, God miraculously opens the Red Sea and the people cross on dry ground and then God brings the water down to destroy Pharaoh's army. It's a testimony to his his greatness, his power. And then God provides for his people water in the desert, food in the desert. And Moses is called up to the mountaintop to to meet with God and, and there God inscribed the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets and Moses is gone for 40 days and nights and so long that the the people despair they think Moses he's probably dead he's probably gone back we we don't know what's happened to this guy and and so they they begin to fashion uh, another god they they create a, a golden idol and, and and a wild frat party breaks out as there's this wild running the people are running wild and more importantly They point to this golden calf and they say, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. You know, we always worship something. All of us. We give credit, praise, glory, attention to something. And the problem is that when we, if we worship God, we get dissatisfied with our circumstances, we get impatient with God's timing, or we get forgetful of the source of our blessing, we turn that attention and credit to other things, or we look to other things. That's what happened with the people of Israel. Moses came down from the mountain, and he saw what was going on. He threw the stone tablets against the rock, smashing them to pieces. And afterward, God called him to bring two more stone tablets so the Ten Commandments could be rewritten. That is the setting for Exodus thirty-four fourteen. This is God's response to that scenario. So, so here's the question. How do I worship a jealous God? God whose name is jealous. How do I worship him? Two parts to that that I want you to consider this morning. The first part is to ruthlessly remove all rivals from my life. That's how I begin to worship a jealous God. There are rivals that I must take to, to worship here means to bow down. And so anything that I am in a sense bowing to, honoring in addition to or ahead of Jehovah is idolatry. Now, in ancient times, there are many types of idols. You had wooden poles dedicated to the goddess Asherah. You had stone tables for sacrificing to Baal. Uh, there were special planets and, and, and sacred animals. And, and these and other things would be worshipped in order to produce a better crop, to have a bigger family, to bring victory in battle, to, to have wealth and health. And God hated all of it. That was pagan culture. And those who claim to be his people could have no part in honoring anything above him because God doesn't tolerate a rival of any sort. And so anything that steals our heart from him, grabs our attention from him, causes us to neglect God is an idol. Uh, Matthew Henry said this, and 300 years ago he said this, whatever is esteemed or loved, feared or served, delighted in or dependent on more than God, that, whatever it is, we do, in effect, make a God of. That's extremely insightful, and it's absolutely true. So 
here are a few questions to ask to help you, to help me evaluate and identify some of the potential idols, gods, in our lives. Let me share a few of them with you. One is, when things go well, who do I thank first? Who do I thank first? Uh, Famously, uh, actor Hilary Swank uh, forgot to thank her husband Chad Lowe when she won her first Oscar in 2001. This was 20 years ago, and that's still basically the first thing that comes up when you Google forgetting to thank someone. Poor Hillary. She was then spending nearly every public appearance after that making up for this oversight. And then she won a second Oscar in 2005, and Lowe was the first person Hillary thanked. And sadly, they got divorced two years later. Thank. Who do you thank? Who's the first who comes to mind? A reoccurring theme of Scripture particularly in the Psalms, is to give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And the New Testament reaffirms this this call to thank God in all circumstances. But focus on the happy times in your life, the successful moments right now. Who do you bless first? That might indicate an idol. Second, when things are bad, where do I turn? Henry Blackaby said that an idol is anything you turn to for help when God told you to turn to him for help. So what is your reflex reaction to difficulty, pain, stress, loss? Whatever, whoever you turn to is something of an idol. You might medicate the pain away with alcohol or sex or food or social media. You might run to family or friends or some organization that's political or religious. David cries out in Psalm 71, he says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Rescue me, deliver me, save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. That's the kind of prayer that should be on our lips in every difficult situation. To whom do you run when things are bad? Third question to ask is, where do I look for approval? Think about who it is that you care more about pleasing, about what motivates you to do your best. And that might reveal something of your idols. Now, a a number of years ago, one of you, I do not remember exactly who of a few ideas, told me this story about something that happened to them in a previous church, or something they noted in a previous church. I was so impressed by that, I wrote down all the details. So I had the details, and and I shared it before, but but here it is. Um, The the church they were part of, uh, when a woman came to visit her son at this church, uh, she liked to have her son sing during the worship service when she was there. So some problems, as I listened to the story, problem number one, this woman saw the worship service as the means of showcasing her son's musical talent for her. Problem number two, the music minister always agreed to her request, ignoring his job as a gatekeeper for God's honor. Problem number three, the song chosen was Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas which, in case you don't know, is not a worship song directed to God. Problem number four, the minister of music made it the call to worship. It doesn't belong in a worship service, but it certainly is not a call to worship. Problem number five, the pièce de résistance, the, the, the mother arrived late for the service, missed the song altogether, and got very angry. Now, whose approval mattered in that situation? Uh, everyone had their priorities messed up. 
It's only God's approval that deserves priority. And so what happens in a corporate worship service? What, what happens as I live my life all week at home, at school, at the, at the store, at the gym, at the office? It should be about his approval more than anyone else. Whose approval do you care about? Uh, the, the, the final question is, where do I spend the most time and energy? Who or what is it that gets my attention? That might signal an idol. Now, if you honestly answer these questions, as I need to as well, it it helps to identify some things that might be your gods or might be competing for the worship of the one true God. Uh, Will Mancini, much more recently than Henry, uh, said, an idol is anything we add to Jesus in order to make life work. That's a pretty bracing statement. When we come to worship, one primary act is that we recognize these gods in our lives and tear them down and and put God where he belongs because our God is a jealous God. And how do we worship that jealous God? We ruthlessly remove all rivals and then secondly, we passionately declare God's worth. This is how we worship a jealous God. We, We passionately declare his worth. It's not enough for you just to keep yourself to your spouse alone and not to have any other rivals for their marital love, you must also express active love. And it's not enough to just refuse to bow down to other gods. It's, it, it, you need to express that love to God, honestly, completely. This is a jealous God does not tolerate going through the motions. He, he, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't want insincerity. He doesn't want ritual. He doesn't want indifference. And the focus must be on him above and beyond anyone or anything else. No worship service should ever be centered on anything or anyone other than God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I told you before, I have walked out of two worship services in my life, both of, neither of which I was, had any part in other than being a worshiper or I would have done something else. I walked out because the, the focus was completely not on God. It was on something, subject-wise, or someone else. Every time we worship, it must be about God or we fail to worship because he is jealous. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God's very clear about this. And so when we come together to reestablish that priority, that, that's what's so important. To remind ourselves we're in an exclusive relationship. I, I love, Gordon Dahl famously said this, most middle class Americans tend to worship their work, to work at their play, and to play at their worship. And, and you know, when I, I reflect on that, I realize that so often when I feel that there are people who are playing at worship, I can see in them the fact that they are worshiping their work or they are working so hard at their play and not giving God what he deserves. Jealous God does not tolerate going through the motions, insincerity, indifference, mere ritual. We must come to him saying, Lord, you are the one and only. You deserve my praise. There is none like you. And that, of course, does not happen unless you have understood and received the gospel. When you've been the beneficiary of God's great love that sent his perfect son into this world to be our savior, the, the, the son that went to the cross bearing our sin, uh, then you have something to be passionate about when you understand and receive that as true that by his bloody death 
And by his bodily resurrection, Jesus made it possible to, to, for you to be rescued from the dark kingdom, to cross, Jesus said, over from death to life through faith in him alone. To make possible your adoption as God's son or daughter. Now, how do I go about passionately declaring God's worth? Let me give you just this simple little rubric to help think about it. Review, respond, and rest. Review. If you're going to passionately declare God's worth, you have to have some truth on which to declare. So, so there's scriptural truth about God. That's why it's so important in, in corporate worship for us to read scripture, to speak God's truth, to remind ourselves of what God says. We need to rehearse the past experiences we have with God, our future hope in God. We need to consider and contemplate and reflect on all that is true about God. And so it's vital to read the Bible. It's vital to prayerfully meditate on his work in your life, to to, uh, look at creation and to give him honor for what he has done, to participate in corporate worship, to connect with other believers who have that same focus, to to participate in communion. That that is the, the great reminder that causes us to reflect on the great price paid for our salvation. The songs that we sing, the scriptures we read, those are ways in which we, we review, and we need that review in order to declare God's worth. And then, second, we respond to it. We respond, prayer, music, testimony, service, joy, offering, faithfulness, confession. Uh, th- th- when you review what God has done, these should pour out of you as you recognize this is who God is. This is his character. This is what he has done. These are his works. And, and that kind of response should, should just flow from you. Because remember what worship is? It's responding to truth about God by giving back to him. That's what worship is. It's responding to truth about God by giving back to him. I've shared before... Uh, just one of the many stupid things that I did. Uh, well, I, I try not to do, share any recent ones. So this is a long time ago. Um, when I was in high school, there, I, I got interested in this girl in my biology class. And, um, and so one week, I took uh, all the available cash I had, went to the store and bought a box of candy that I thought this would impress her. And on Friday, I took it to this girl at the end of the day and just gave it to her kind of wordlessly and, uh, and then walked off. Uh, I don't even know if she knew who I was. But anyway, I, I did that. And then on Saturday, her ex-boyfriend called to threaten my life. So this plan was not going uh, at all. But worse yet, the very next day, that Sunday, all of a sudden I realized is Mother's Day, and I did nothing for my mother. I had no money with which to do it either. The box of candy might have been a good idea, but I didn't have that idea. So I spent all my time and money and energy on a girl whose name I do not remember, and forgot to honor the woman who gave me life. Uh, I, I, I remember that because too many times that's very much what I do with God. Is that the one who created me and who redeemed me by the blood of his son deserves all I have to offer. And yet I tend to give that attention, time, and energy to other things all too often. But worship is responding to truth about God by giving back to him. So how thoughtful, how eager, how generous is your response? And then thirdly, to rest. 
In, in your time of, of need, desperation, uncertainty, heartache, you, you turn to him. He's your highest hope. He's your greatest comfort. He's your satisfaction, your relief. I love Psalm 62.1. My soul finds rest in God alone. That's the, those are the words of someone who has worshipped God and knows where his rest lies. And rather than worrying and complaining and fearing and frantically searching for other sources of hope and help, you rest in his care. You leave your burdens with him. You trust him to provide. That's what worship helps us to do. And and so I put it in, in these words that true worship brings you to a place of restedness. Why? Because all rivals for God's honor are removed and he remains your only hope. You realize who he is, what he's done. And his priority is what allows you to be at peace. The, uh, a number of years ago, a best-selling book, The Reason for God, which I still recommend. I bought a number of copies. I've read it numerous times. I still recommend that book. It described the damage that comes from some common idols, so I want to share those with you. If you centered your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling, and those other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life and identity on family and children, You will try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no life self of their own. If you center your life and identity on work and career, you'll be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person, or at worst you will, if your career goes poorly, develop deep depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money, and you'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle. If you center your life and identity on pleasure, gratification, and comfort, you'll find yourself getting addicted to something. You'll become chained to the escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, you'll be constantly overly hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. And You you will fear confronting others and therefore be a useless friend. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, you will divide the world into good and bad and demonize your opponents ironically you'll be controlled by your enemies because without them you have no purpose if you center your life and identity on religion and morality you will if you're living up to your moral standards be proud self-righteous cruel and if you don't live up to your moral standards your guilt will be utterly devastating i think those are insightful words and the reality is that those other things that we give too much to leave us parched and desperate in the end we have a jealous god and to worship him this morning what what we need to do is to ruthlessly remove all rivals and passionately declare his worth a number of years ago there were three gray whales caught trapped in an ice pack off of point barrow alaska the whales were battered and bloody because they were gasping for for breath at just one single hole in the ice and and their only hope was to somehow make it five miles under that ice pack to the open sea so a bunch of rescuers got involved and this attracted worldwide attention the the, these people gathered around these three whales and began to cut a string of breathing holes through the thick ice about 20 yards apart And they then coaxed the whales from one breathing hole to the next breathing hole to the next. It took them eight days to get them those five miles. Along the way, one of the whales was lost and presumed dead. 
but finally, two swam to freedom. And you can see the headline as people rejoice. This was some years ago. They made a movie about it that was even partly true. <laughs> Reflecting on this story, my friend Brian Larson likened it to worship. And he said, worship, acceptable worship, is like breathing holes for God's people. That, that battered and bruised in, in a world that's frozen over with greed and selfishness and hatred, we rise for air in worship. We fill our lungs in the presence of our Redeemer. And we look forward to the day when the, the ice cap of sin will be forever shattered. The truth is all other gods leave you gasping for air. Remove all other rivals. Passionately declare the glory of our God. Because the one true God, the sovereign over the universe, is jealous of all honor. For he alone is worthy. Let's pray. Lord, we are weak and frail in our attempts because we are human, though made in your image. So Lord, by your Spirit, empower us, inspire us, invigorate us to worship you in spirit and in truth, to declare your worth and honor, to cast aside all those things that compete for glory that you and you alone deserve. Lord, we ask this because you are worthy. We give you thanks for all that you have provided in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
want to pronounce a benediction, which is something that I always try to do. Um, last week, we were talking with uh, one of the candidates for worship pastor here. And uh, he mentioned something that bothered him that he changed, and that at the end of the service, whoever was in charge said, you're dismissed. And I grabbed onto that because that's exactly one of the things that I so much reacted against when I came here. That was a very common way to end. You're dismissed. (laughs) And I agree, you're not dismissed. You, with me, have been in the presence of Almighty God. And His presence will not be dismissed. It goes with you into this world to live for Him. And that's the point of benediction. To say, we go out to be his people in this place by his power. And so let me speak over you words from 1 Timothy 1. Now to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. You stood before creation Eternity in your hands You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand You stood before my fear Out together. So what can I 